It's the Brexit Breakdown Podcast from the UK in a changing Europe. Hello and welcome to another Brexit Breakdown Podcast. I'm James Miller, journalist, author, man on a mission to find out more about Brexit. To that end, I was joined on this episode by Alison McGovern, Labour MP for Wirral South, Chair of Progress, that's the Blairite faction of the Labour Party, leading supporter of Open Britain, the Continuity Remain campaign. Press releases from Open Britain, and they put out a lot, always quote an MP as a leading supporter. Indeed, I got one this very morning from Open Britain, quoting Alison on immigration, which is timely because immigration is a topic that gets a mention in this podcast. We were also joined by Simon Usherwood, Deputy Director of UK in a Changing Europe. For some reason, his contributions are made every five minutes in this podcast. That is not deliberate. It's not that I was either rationing him to one comment every five minutes or that he needs five minutes to think of something clever to say. It's just how it worked out on this occasion. So, up for discussion on this episode was where Labour is at on Brexit again the nature of referendums and Liverpool Football Club. Yes, really. Listen out particularly for some spiky exchanges in the second half of the podcast, but I started by asking why Alison is a leading supporter of Open Britain. Why were you Remain? Why you still remain, even though the public done a democracy and said they don't like it? Okay, well, the public have done a different democracy since then, and we've had the general election. I'll come back to that in a second. Yeah. So I think that in a world where you want to achieve re- like a really serious rebalance of power from big global corporations to people to be able to do... An, and be the things they want to in life, Mm -hmm. the idea that you can take on that challenge on your own, I think, is not right. I think that's why you've got to work with other countries in partnership with progressives and social democrats and socialists around the world. And I think the best example of that is the European Union. So I'm not going to, you know, agree with or apologise for absolutely everything the European Union has ever done. However, it is the case that it's the only trade deal pretty much in the world that has employment rights and social protection as part of what it does. So any trade deal we sign in the future will not be as good for ordinary working people as the deal we have as part of the single market in the European Union. Well, why so, not? You could write all that into another trade deal somewhere down the line. Who are you writing your trade deal with? America, Australia, right. New Zealand. So That's the so, big one. Okay, so let's just go through those. So in the case of America, their economic model has is not currently the kind of social democratic um, economic model that we're used to in Europe. For example, anyone who's got friends or family who work in America will know that they have far fewer holidays than yes. we do. Um, if you have a baby in America, actually getting time off work to have the baby can be a challenge. And then that's even before you get into the fact that like, the right to healthcare in America is shall we say, curtailed. So 
a trade deal with America, it's hard to see that not amounting to a race to the bottom in terms of rights and social protections for people in this country. Um, in the case of New Zealand, there may well be a deal available, but it's New Zealand is a small economy and it's not going to offer us the kind of chances that we have by having a really good deal with Europe. Um, all right, but you made that case and the public said, nah, but we'd rather okay, be so, out. Okay. So, so number one, like, why, the question I would ask is, why have we taken a situation that was 48-52 and made it like a winner-takes-all situation? Because even in, even in a general election, right, once you're the government, if you win a general election, once you're the government, you've got your manifesto, which mm. you have a duty to carry out. Yeah. But you also have a duty to govern for the whole of the public, right? So it's not like it's not like everyone in our country should have a veto, but most governments seek as broad a possible consensus for what they're doing. Whereas what we have is a government that's taken that fifty-two percent result and said it's not even um, it's not even all of the fifty-two percent their idea of Brexit that should govern. It's the hardest possible Brexiteers. So basically, the government at the moment is pursuing Brexit in a way that. Nigel Farage, Jacob Rees-Mogg and Boris Johnson agree with rather than saying okay we're going to leave the European Union but we're going to do this in a way that's going to command a broad sweep of consensus in our country and if they'd started out with that as an aim and the, and the way that they could have done that would have been to involve uh, people from the Labour Party, from other parties, from the trade union movement, from faith communities, they could have had a kind of national consensus building about what Brexit should mean and then proceed on that basis. But instead what they've done is said, well, it's Victor's justice, you know, those who argued for the hardest kind of Brexit, they've won, so they get to dictate terms to the rest of us. And that's what I really object to. A cross-party negotiating team. Simon, would that work? Could work. I'm, you know, if you look at how it's working at the moment, you can see lots of issues with how you do it. And the diff- difficulty is, you know, in formal terms, the negotiations are between the government and the Commission. So there's a, a question of representativity, but there's nothing theoretically to stop Parliament saying, well, actually, this is of such import that you have a, a cross party uh, approach to doing it. You know, if you think about other times of extreme national crisis, I'm not saying it's national crisis, but you know, think about times of war, you have governments of national unity, and you could take that kind of logic and apply it to a peacetime situation. So again, it's, it's the point that you're raising, uh, that it's, is it Victor's justice that, you know, why politicians, I'm not saying you, but politicians generally, when they have power, they want to be able to use it, and whether not every politician wants to if they have given power, they don't want to give it away to other people to share it with other people. So again, there's kind of an issue about how they kind of conceptualise their role. Yeah, true. Although if you look at, um, for example, um, when we consider changing the voting system in uh, the late 1990s, you know, um, the Jenkins uh, proposals were brought forward by someone who was not a member of the government. Um, even the Tories, you know, Frank Fields take on various different roles. Um, Alan Milburn, who just resigned, mm-hmm. like you might say to yourself, why would Alan Milburn have taken that role on on social mobility anyway? These are Tories. It's like, well, actually, most governments try and deal with big, substantial national issues that dictate the future of our country. Most of them try and do it on a cross-party basis because they know their own. 
uh, capacity to deliver means that they need a time much more than they're going to be in government for, much more than one parliament. So the way that you get real and lasting change is to build a cross-party consensus. And most people, in the end, come to realise that. Always. So, yes. so, so actually, if I'm honest, I really think Theresa May could have seen that this would go in this direction, that if she basically set herself up in opposition to quite a large group of the country, that she would find it difficult to make a deal. So who's on the cross-party negotiating team? It's led by Michael Gove and Gisela Stewart, and it's Nigel Farage, Kate Hoey, Steve Baker, and Roger Daltrey. <laughs> I'm really not sure how we got to Roger Daltrey. He's a lever, isn't he? You know, I'm trying to think of some of the outside politics who was a lever. There's lots of them, but he came into my head. Mainly because the last podcast, Simon and I did, we talked about Roger Daltrey. Oh, did you? Right. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I was completely bamboozled by that. I was like, Roger Daltrey, what? He happened to come up. But there you go. No, you've got is that to, what you want? No, is that no, a sort no, of cross-party condition no, no. you want? No, my point is, you've got to build a broad consensus, and that means involving people who come at this from a different perspective. Would you do it? If Theresa May phoned you up and said, I've changed my mind, I'm going to do a cross-party negotiating team, will you join it? Um, well, it would depend on the detail, but I can't see why you wouldn't want to get involved. Um, I've spent my time since the referendum saying, I think there's a better way of doing this. I think there's a better way of doing this. If we make a, a uh, an offer to the EU about sticking with the European model of trade because that offers the best social protections to our people, the best rights at work, the best rules by which we govern the market, I think we'd get a more positive response. And actually when I spoke to Leave voters in my constituency in the general election, the big thing was getting the deal done, getting it done and dealt with because most people thought they voted on that day and then it would be delivered and then we'd get to move on and deal with the other issues in our country, whether people voted leave or remain. But the fact is, like, the Tories are not interested. They're not interested in consensus, and that's the big problem. They're interested in party management and dealing with their right flank. You can see it, honestly, when you're in the chamber, you can see Theresa May sort of, like, like conscious of what's going on over her right shoulder, mm. and that's because Jacob Rees-Mogg sits at the far end of the chamber Slouches. Yeah, slaps gowling. Yeah. You know, and sorry, my constituents don't care two hoots what Jacob Rees-Mogg or Bill Cash thinks about this. They care about their jobs and the money in their pockets, and they're entitled to a better approach than this. Well, I mean, I would suggest, perhaps controversially, well, here you go, you've done the research into Eurosceptics, Simon. Given what Ali just said, isn't it the case that people are just silly then, aren't they? If they genuinely voted to leave, thinking, oh, we'll just leave the next day, well, that just makes them a bit silly, because that was clearly not going to happen. Or were they missold it, I suppose? If you start saying people are silly, then you're on a very slippery slope to saying, well, people shouldn't have the votes. And, you know, in any vote, there are people who come with different, you know, they come with different levels of understanding and, you know, how informed they are about things. But, you know, the principle of democracy is that everybody's vote counts the same. And, you know, politicians will make cases, most politicians most of the time are trying to make an honest case, trying to explain the issues. But one of the real difficulties in the referendum was that the focus wasn't about what kind of relationship should we have, it was should we be in or out. And, you know, thinking about what Theresa May is trying to do, she's, she sees Brexit as part of a bigger package of governments. Uh, 
which is odd because actually the whole business of government at the moment is Brexit. Mm. And likewise, you know, for Labour, for the SNP, for anyone else, they also have plans. And so trying to understand what the purpose of leaving or staying in is, I think was something that was, was really absent in the referendum. And so now we're having a debate about what that should be. So inevitably there are going to be people who feel disabused that, you know, what they thought they were voting for isn't what they were voting for. And, you know, it's not like an election. There isn't a manifesto. So there wasn't a commitment that if, yeah. we, if we leave, yeah. we leave on these terms, we aim for this kind of thing. Or <coughs> if we stay, you know, this I mean, is how it will be. I would say that was the biggest failing of the referendum, that there weren't manifestos or anything like manifestos of what it would mean. And so it was therefore entirely logical that you needed a general election to affirm that what it would mean. And, you know, the country failed to endorse Theresa May's what it would mean. So that leaves us in a, in, a, in a bit of a pickle because, you know, we've got a hung parliament. It's not like they endorsed anyone else's version either. I was going to say, yeah. what do you think the, the general election endorsed then? Because... So, so I've, I've been a member of parliament now in... This is my second hung parliament. Um, so it is, it is difficult when no manifesto has that traditional status as it does in our constitution, you know, manifesto commitments are really, really important. Um, so what you have to do is feel your way, and that's where I come back to like building a broad consensus. If you look at what's going on in Parliament at the moment, you, you can see that there is a consensus, I think, opening up for, um, if not formally staying in the single market, you know, like, like if you look at what Keir Starmer said about the importance of the model and the rules and all of that and or sticking with that. There's definitely a consensus around that. If you listen to what John Redwood says about it's fine, we can just trade on WTO terms, there is not a consensus in Parliament for that. Is Labour moving? Is it fair to say Labour's position is moving, our, hardening? I mean, well, it is, come on, there's no doubt. Our, our, position, are, our, our position was really shaped by our conference. I think the discussion that happened at conference last September was really important. Keir, you know, was pretty clear and as I say it's been has made made it absolutely clear since that he thinks that the legality is is clear that Article fifty is revocable if the government of the day chooses, which no, is important. What are we talking about revoking Article 50? No, that, that it is revocable. Yeah, but that doesn't matter. But the, but, the, but the point is, if what is happening is that the, um, the, 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 the Tories' fail, failure to negotiate means that we crash out of the EU you know, with no deal or an incredibly bad deal, that we should take more time to get this right for our country, I think Keir has been very clear about it. And I think that's a good thing, and that matters because it means that we need to give time and space for the British public to decide, uh, not have some timetable laid out for us by people who are at a pretty extreme end of the British political spectrum. Um, you're at it. You are trying to stop Brexit. That's what you want to happen here. You want a never-ending, you want to re- revoke Article 50 so you have some sort of never-ending negotiation, have a general election in which the public go, well, oh, actually, maybe we'd rather stay in, and you get to stay in the EU. That's your ideal whether outcome, or not, isn't it? Whether or not we're in the EU is for the British public to decide. Yeah. And not for... They have decided, though. We had a, we had a referendum 
and we voted to leave. So now we are going down this road. We've had a general election subsequently where the public failed to endorse Theresa May's version of Brexit. So now we have to feel our way. At some point, there'll be another general election and it will be parties to put forward their view of where we go from here. Do I think that EU membership should still be on the table? Yes, I do. Because I lost a referendum, did not fundamentally change who I am. But but you couldn't have, you couldn't stay in the EU on the back of an election, having voted to leave at a referendum, could you? Surely a referendum trumped an election. What? Like, I don't understand what, why, why you've decided there's a hierarchy of... Because a referendum is very clear. An election result is never clear. Unfortunately, it isn't clear, is it? Unfortunately, well, yeah, in real life, when, it, when, it engage, when the result engages with real life, it gets complicated. But on the right. day and on the bit of do you paper... Do, your po- do you do your politics on bits of paper or in real life? Because I, I, the, real life, the real life that I care about is my constituents' real jobs and the real money in their actual pockets. So whilst... I accept the result of the referendum and we have proceeded down this road on the basis of that referendum result. We now have to find a way to make this work. And that to me means not shutting down options of the future when we don't know what is going to happen. And it means me trying to find a practical means to preserve the terms of trade that we have and move our country forward in a way that gives us the best chance of a good economic future, not shut down economic cooperation on the basis of a small group in our population's view of what Brexit means. Right, well, so, the ref- so the referendum didn't, did, we didn't discuss, you know, you can leave in lots of different forms of leaving, you know, and, you know, your future relationship can be close, it can be distant, but we didn't have a vote about that, we, it was remaining yeah. or leaving, and it might be that in discussion now about what kind of leaving we have, that people feel that none of the, the leaving options actually works for them, and that then, you know it's not saying that means we should stay, but that you have the range of options that are there. Um, so it's difficult because you know at what point do you lock in things? You know one of the big refrains of Eurosceptics over the past two decades has been well. You know, the vote back in '75 wasn't fair, and things have changed, and things have moved on. So, by the same logic, you know, things do move on. The question is, you know, can you go back to uh, the public now, and if you had another referendum now, you know, how much would it be about the, the changed understanding, and how much would it, the campaign be about? Well, you know, if you can think about what the Leave campaign would do in another referendum, would they just say, look, this is just shows you that elites don't trust yep. you to vote the right way, so just show them what you use. The, the problem with the referendum we had before was it took one simple binary choice and presented that as if it had absolutely no consequences for anything else in our public life, and that was wrong. But that's also true of the, the AV referendum, for example. It was a very clear choice between first-past-the-post and AV, and yet it has been used to say any form of PR is off the table. We had a referendum about that, because, as you know, as you know, politics professor, there's lots and lots of different forms of PR in there with lots of different letters in their names. But they've all been wiped off the table as a result yeah. of that referendum. That has been interpreted in a certain way and we've all gone, okay, we accept the way that's been interpreted. So uh, surely you could do the I'll, same I'll, I, I, I mean, I'm not particularly... Um, I, I don't see it that way. It's an edit. Someone said something boring or illegal, maybe told some slanderous story about Boris Johnson. 
You'll never know. Right, so let's just be clear. Do you want to stop Brexit? That's for the British public to decide. Well, no, come on. That's, that's the cop-out. If you want to stop Brexit, if you, you want Brexit to stop, yes, you do, okay, surely. So, sorry. I like... That, that, that question is basically assuming that we know what Brexit means and we're finding out more. I've put forward my version of how I think our country should proceed, stay in the single market and stay in the customs union, that means that we can get a deal and our country can move on, which I think is what people want. If you're saying, do I want to stop the version of Brexit that is in Jacob Rees-Mogg's head, the answer is yes. But but I will not be hemmed in to thinking that the only thing that that referendum uh, pointed to was the kind of hard Brexit that sees us crash out of the single market, crash out of the customs union and sever our trading relationship with Europe. I will not be told what that referendum means by somebody who stood many times in Parliament and never once been elected. So forgive me if I don't buy into that kind of like binary choice that people on the hard right and the far right of politics want, because I think that's really damaging, actually, that you that we have this kind of discourse now that's like, well, yeah, I've been told, term. exactly, I've been told by Tory members of Parliament in interviews, you're on the side of Michel Barnier, you're on the side of the EU, which is basically saying you're not properly British. And I take very ill to other people in politics telling me that I don't believe in my country, stand up for my country, want the best for my country. I'm as patriotic as anybody else, thanks very much. So don't get me into the kind of, do you want to, you know, are you a saboteur? I mean, I think that's really damaging for our country if we get into that kind of discussion. So your, but your ideal outcome from all of this would surely be the UK staying in the EU somehow? I think it would be better off for our future if we did. Okay, how Liverpool Football Club, your beloved football club, right? Indeed they are. Are they like Brexit in that it's a bit rubbish, you know, might be all right, but probably not going to work out that well. You know, that's their league campaign this year, right? Have, have you seen the have, or, have you seen the polling that was done of football fans that support the different clubs and whether they were Leavers or Remainers? I don't really, I don't really, I don't really buy into polling as I've, I've seen almost every week on this podcast. <laughs> but yeah, go on. Because LFC folks were big time Remain. Who is the biggest Leavers? Um, off, off the top of my head, I want to say Chelsea, but I can't quite remember. Ooh, I'll look okay. it up and tweet it for you. Um, I is... Liverpool is the Labour Party like Liverpool like they're quite good not actually good enough to win anything doing better than expected this year got a sort of charismatic manager but you know he's alright but he's not really actually uh, as good as his, his loyal supporters say Jürgen has said he's definitely on the left <laughs> also right. also he has is that a fair comparison it, for me as a person are doing quite well as a personal, but they're not going to win anything as a personal comparison um, it's you know, the way I feel about Liverpool is very similar to the way I feel about the Labour Party, which is that, you know, I've grown up with it, it's like my family, the pe- the people in those two organisations, th- there's that kind of family-like relationship, which is that, you know, you might row at times or whatever, but at the end of the day, you're never going to not be it. Like, I, I, could, I could no more not support Liverpool um, than I could not be a Labour person. And it doesn't really matter 
it doesn't really matter what I'm doing or where I am or whatever. I'm always I'll always be Labour and I will always be Liverpool football. Is either Labour or Liverpool going to win anything in the next five years? Yes. Which? Both. What are they going to win? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know because I haven't got a crystal ball. Nah. Let's do the features. Best thing. Oh. Worst thing. What is going to be the best thing about Brexit? We'll need to have a really different kind of conversation about immigration. That'll be a good thing. Yeah, I think we need to we need to move our country on, recognise that immigration has made our country strong, not weak. And that, by and large, even where people, you know, if people have got genuine concerns about whether our border force is funded well enough and whether or not we've got risks of trafficking and things like that that need to be dealt with, I think they're right. But, but by and large, people coming here because they want to be British they want, or they want to work here and they want to be a part of our country, by and large, that is a good thing and that's an asset to us as a country rather than a weakness. What's going to be the worst thing about Brexit? Uh, I think there's a, a massive risk. And I think that actually it's not the risk of, a, of an immediate economic crash that worries me because I think that the Bank of England demonstrated after the Brexit vote that they were capable of managing the turbulence uh, economically. The worry that I have is that we've already had a lost decade in terms of economic growth. The forecasts are bad and... I worry that we're going to have another lost decade where inequality grows, where areas that are dominated by manufacturing have a really tough time, and that we end up, you know, in 10 years' time with a country that offers people fewer chances and where, you know, the wealthy will be all right, they're always all right, but what about, what about 14, 15, 16-year-olds now who've got things they want to be and do and they just don't get the chances that they want? Um, are you talking about recession? Uh, possibly, but that's exactly my point, actually, that it's not necessarily the chances of like a massive dip that we should worry about. It's a long, slow slide that we should worry about. OK, and uh, let's see if I can get the name of this feature right this week. It is uh, in the unlikely event that this podcast has proved insufficiently enlightening. That was called. Do you know what it's called? Diamond? I should do because you. So should I. It's part of the podcast. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's it's so something smart. like that, anyway. In the unlikely event, this podcast has not enlightened you sufficiently. Um, recommendations: How to understand Brexit. I mean, if I was going to be, if I was going to be really wonky, I would recommend the work of the economist Philip McCann, mm. who has done the most in-depth research into the areas that are going to be hardest hit economically by Brexit and by the way the answer is by and large the areas that voted for it. Oh, okay. Um, um, so I would recommend Philip McCann okay. uh, from the University of Sheffield. Okay. His work. Simon, um, another recommendation. I've got to stop coming on doing this because I'm running out of people. Oh, well. you've been Because you've been so sombre and garrulous, I'm, I'm going to go with two spoof accounts from Brussels who I think are really good oh, at okay. actually uh, kind of shining some light on just kind of how yeah. Brussels rolls. So that's uh, Burley Monster, who's a sock puppet, and we can talk right. about that later. Okay. Uh, and Martini Seltzmeyer, so that's a spoof of Martin Seltzmeyer. Oh, okay. The, uh, are they actually funny? They are, like straight up funny? They are proper funny. straight up funny. They're very much funnier is it, than almost everyone I know on Twitter. Is it, is it funnier than the one that pretends to be the Queen? 
Oh, differently funny because it's, it's EU-ish. Oh, right. Uh, but yes, they are extremely good and they are well worth your time. Okay, I like the idea of a sock puppet on Twitter. I will look this up. Okay. Um, he likes gin as well, so you <coughs> like Oh, don't too. remind me of the gin. Yes, the gin. That conversation was recorded just before Christmas. Gin had been taken the night before. Uh, Ali and Simon both reckoned I was a bit grumpy due to the gin. I leave it for you listeners to decide if that's the case. Please do share your thoughts. You can get me politicalyeti at gmail.com on the email or I am at politicalyeti on Twitter or via the UK in a Changing Europe Twitter account which is at UK and EU. Uh, Their website for all previous podcasts and all their super research is at ukandeu.ac.uk Sorry, slightly distracted there by the cat walking in. Um, Have you got any views on Brexit, cat? No. Uh, On the subject of podcasts, Ali McGovern has her own called the Progressive Britain Podcast, which I said I would plug for her. I don't think the hosts there give her such a hard time. But uh, I don't think I did give her a hard time, actually. I just want Remainers and Leavers to explain their positions. I think it helps to understand the whole Brexit process, how we got here and where we are headed. But I'm happy to hear feedback. Anyone with questions they want me to put to Leavers or Remainers, do get in touch. In the next few episodes, we've got uh, someone from the CBI. We've got another leading Remain campaigner, uh, a leading French journalist to give us the uh, European perspective, a comedian, a baroness, and hopefully Sir John Curtis. Any questions for them, do send them in. I also want to say at this point, particularly with Alison being a leading supporter of Open Britain, uh, how awful it was to hear the news that Open Britain press chief Will Cousins was killed over Christmas in the seaplane crash in Australia. Uh, I knew him a bit because obviously he was helping in setting up some of these interviews with leading Remainers. And I do want to take a moment just to say he was a really top chap. He was, uh, I found him pleasant company and extremely competent professionally, which um, is a pretty great combination really. I think makes him the sort of person other people should want to be like. Um, I'll end here with the usual ask to like and subscribe this podcast at your usual podcast provider, please. The music has again been Requiem for a Fish by the Freak Fandango Orchestra. I've been James Miller. This has been the Brexit Breakdown podcast from UK in a Changing Europe, which is supported by King's College London and funded and supported by by the Economic and Social Research Council. Tune in in two weeks for another Brexit Breakdown podcast. Thank you and goodbye.